tuned into a very special episode of the Comics Pals Book Club. This is the first one of 2018, and we're very, very happy and excited to present this to you guys. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about Black Panther. Power Ranger. Oh, Black Panther. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> did I did I read the wrong thing, guys? There's uh, here. There's there's not even a Black Power Ranger comic. I don't. Yeah. Where oh. are you even coming? This is a from? flimsy bit. Well, <laughs> well, the reason why it's so flimsy is Marco literally told us what he was going to do before we recorded. <laughs> Phil, I gotta ruin it. Lifting the curtain, baby. <laughs> yeah. When I laughed, it was because you actually did the joke again. Yeah. <laughs> you got a shock laugh out of me. <laughs> Not I only are you move. telling lame jokes, but you're wearing the same shirt you were wearing yesterday. Jesus. Oh, man. Called you're out. S- Sorry. You're fucking bringing your C game today, Marco. I had to do it. <laughs> isn't, uh, it like, isn't it like four where you guys are right now? Yep. Yeah, just about. Yeah. That's that's bedtime for Kale. <laughs> I thought there was a follow-up. It's it's waiting. Yeah. No, I, I think his comment was more that like Marco's unwashed masses have just been stewing for about a day. Nasty. I mean, yeah. Uh, okay, let, let me let me introduce uh, the book. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, a nation under our feet, which is the three-part, or I should say, three-book story arc, twelve issues long. Uh, from Ta-Nehisi Coates uh, and several <coughs> artists, uh, Brian Stelfries, uh, Chris Sprouse. Um, those were the pencilers on this one, and then you had a variety of colorists as well. Uh, Laura Martin, Matt Miller, Paul Mounts, Rachel Rosenberg. Uh, so, big crew uh, working together on this one. Um, and uh, overall... Every- you could say that it was Black Panther's crew. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Boy, everyone's no. swinging for the fences this morning, this afternoon. Huh? <laughs> this is Striking out all over in the mornings, typically because <laughs> you know by this point in the day we just have nothing left. All our, all I our, spent all my funnies on the video game pals. This all morning, our jokes sorry. are recycled and old now. Now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is a, a particularly special series uh, because Coates is a writer who is very, very well known. Uh, very, very popular in, you know, a different space. Um, he won an award. Uh, he won the National Book Award and the MacArthur Genius Award uh, for his book Between the World and Me. And uh, Marvel wanted to popularize the Black Panther in comics again just because of, you know, his appearance in Civil War and then the upcoming, which is now impending, uh, and for some of you already has released, uh, Black Panther film. And... So they wanted to get a superstar black writer onto this book, and he made perfect sense, especially at the time, given where his career was. Um, and this is his... It was, like, hot off of that award, yeah. right? Like, he was kind of, like, an up, like a new name when he took this on, almost. Uh, he was... Well, he was hot off the awards. Um, and the book, yeah. the book was very big and popular at, at that time. Uh, so this is actually his first comic book, though. Which is the really interesting part, and I'm sure that that'll play into our discussion, is that this is his first at-bat. And uh, I'm very interested and excited to hear what you guys have to say and what you think about his first sort of year as a comic book writer uh, with this book and how it did. So, um, 
Hopefully you guys are listening, can follow along. If you have had the opportunity to pick up the books, we mentioned it on the uh, most recent episode of the Comics Pals, or if you've already read them uh, prior, that's great. Um, well, we're anxious to hear your opinions about it as well, and I'll just tell you guys how you can reach out to us. You can do so by writing to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. Uh, you can also hit us up on social media at thecomicspals, wherever your social media is sold. And if you are watching this on YouTube, of course, you can leave a comment. Uh, and while you're doing that, you can leave a like and subscribe to the channel if you like what you hear and share it with your friends. And let them know about this great book. Let them know about this very impactful series and that you're a fan of it. Uh, so with that, let's get started. Uh, so I'm just going to introduce the the sort of preamble of where this book sort of comes into uh, or where how we get to this place, right? Marvel how the Marvel Comics. Universe. <laughs> Marvel Comics. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it all started back in 1943 when Stan Lee created Marvel Comics. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, so this is hot off the heels of Secret Wars, the 2015 edition, uh, which saw well the lead into Secret Wars saw Thanos and the Black Order actually invading Wakanda uh, in search of the Infinity Stones and. Shuri, who was the Black Panther at the time, uh, or I should say was the Queen of Wakanda at the time, her and her brother uh, T'Challa were both Black Panthers, um, she takes a stand to fight for her country while the Black Panther kind of goes off and tries to save the world in other areas and leaves Wakanda in her hands, and as a result, she is frozen solid, essentially. Um, the same thing happens to Thanos in the Infinity series, but he's broken out. Uh, here, they couldn't figure out how to get Shuri out of the, the predicament that she was in. Um, and so when we get into the book, uh, T'Challa is not only grieving over the loss, the perceived loss of his sister, but also uh, painstakingly trying to figure a way to get her back. Um, but that also plays into where the Wakandans are in terms of their, um, th their spirit, where the Wakandan spirit is at. Because they had been drowned out by Namor and the seas. They've been attacked by the Black Order. So a lot of really awful things happen to them in quick succession. And that definitely plays into where we come into this series with. So uh, the first question that I have is, was anybody confused about why uh, Wakanda where it was where it was? Or do you feel like the, the story uh, gives you the information that you need to understand that early on? Marco, go ahead. Um, so I was confused just cause I wasn't sure necessarily how the whole Namor thing, um, the black order, all that thing knows that they would always bring it up, but I didn't know where it fit in necessarily. It, it sort of explains it and it touches upon it. And uh, I feel like in my, in reading it, you don't need that information, but there is context there to certain characters, actions and certain characters, um, sort of thought processes that I feel would have, it would have been beneficial for me to know, but it's not something that's necessary so i felt that that was uh like it, it was it, it was written well that i didn't need that history but it it would have added to what i got out of the book in fairness to the book though you did think you were reading a black power major book <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you do a joke marco there you go that was good i don't know if uh, i agree um, <laughs> it's obviously black panther that's not how you do a I joke <laughs> um 
I I I was reading New Avengers when that when a lot of that stuff happened. So I I knew about the Namor, you know, invasion and the drowning and all that. But uh, you know, uh, since then I I sort of lapsed, and the it a lot of the information presented in Black Panther felt sort of shoehorned in um to me it felt like they like like i understand that this is where wakanda is at and these are the events that happened like they they did a really good job of uh putting that information in but at the same time like i didn't feel like the enough context was there and i think in the hands of a, a more skilled uh, uh, more seasoned comic writer, I think it would have come come off a little easier. But that's with the context of you having like understood what that other stuff was. So, I mean, a little, yeah. Like I like I probably understood it more than you, right? Like because right, I, I read right. some of it. See, yeah, like I get I having not read that stuff. I think I kind of fall more on Marco's side of the fence where like I, I wouldn't say that I felt like I needed the context I think that uh, I think that like the script stood on its own for mm-hmm. me to understand the relevance of those events in so far as like how they were applied to where we were at like why this series of events um, led to Wakanda being in revolution and Black Panther um being you know kind of maligned by his people at that point right like and that was all i really needed to know like it it would have been cool i guess to have that context but honestly like i didn't feel like there was any gap for me in terms of getting why these events were relevant to what was going on when you watch star wars you don't need to be like hey how'd this empire come about who's darth vader what were those clone wars about yeah right like nope i've got enough exposition and be like okay so so for you then uh phil and pete the information was presented like clear enough and you you just got it and that was it i i I literally just needed a sentence to be like oh this happened oh okay all right yeah like they recapped it a couple times throughout the series and that was kind of my one complaint was like i felt like they told me about the events a lot to reinforce how important they were without really giving me more information. Like, I remember there was that one moment... I don't remember when the issue was, because I read, I read like, the whole thing in two sittings, so it's kind of like, it all blurs together. But there's that one page of, like, literally the three threats that they had faced, and it's like, this, this, and this, like, decimated the nation or whatever. Oh, and I was like, yeah, that's yeah. all I needed. Like, that was a really good visual recap, I thought, of just, like... Here are the threats. Here's why each of them mattered. And cool. Like, that's all. And beyond that, like, every other time that they, like, kind of felt the need to explain backstory to me, I could kind of see where Kale was coming from, of of it feeling a little, like, info dumpy. Mm. Um, yeah. And because it was just, like, I kind of, I get it, you know? And now that you, now that you say that, I think that's probably where I'm coming from more so, uh, in that every time they drop that info it didn't really feel like they were adding anything that the reader didn't know i i think that's a fair point does that make sense yeah yeah definitely i think 
Uh, so for me, as somebody who experienced all of those things while they were happening, obviously it didn't add anything for me to know to be told again what took place. Um, but I think that the right. initial bit of information, like this is how we got here, is pivotal. I, I, I do believe that just because so much of what where this nation is, where Wakanda is, is built on that. However, yeah. in, in saying that, I do think that they probably could have it probably would have been okay to just do it the one time and let that be that. I will say in his defense, though, I think if we had been reading this month to month, we wouldn't have even noticed this. Probably. Like, I think if if, if I hadn't sat down and read this three-volume series in the span of, like, 48 hours, I don't know that I would have felt so much like, you just told me this, you know? Like, because it was, like, one sitting where I'm being reminded versus, like, if I'd watched that play out over the course of a year, like, it might have been like, yeah, right, like, that is such a big theme of what's going on here. Like, it is okay to maybe just nudge back to it. I guess my question, my question is sort of answers itself because it doesn't necessarily make sense, but do you think if you were reading this monthly that you wouldn't already know? Not necessarily, because yeah. I think you have to think about, like, what that book, like, what this book is supposed to be, right? Like, Sean's, like, preamble for it was that this was the book to make Black Panther relevant again. Like, you're not necessarily reading New Avengers and then picking this up. Like, you might have just picked this up and you don't know anything about Black Panther or Wakanda other than the fact that, like, Wakanda is this, like, you know, maybe you know that it's, like, this hyper-advanced, technical, like, secretive, isolationist nation, and that's where Vibranium comes from. Yeah. Because I feel like that's the surface-level, like, comic fan thing to know, you know? And, like, I know when the book came out, I remember going to my local comic book shop, like, on free comic book day and like seeing a bunch of little kids who had just come out of civil war picking up black panther number one and like they don't know that shit so i feel like having this there like for the people like me or marco who are just jumping on or for new people who don't know anything about marvel or black panther but thought he was cool i feel like that little recap was necessary and if you were going to a month to month it might be helpful to have that yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> so, with that being said, this book does introduce uh, like a ton of new characters and sort of new themes to the Black Panther mythos, and that's not a surprise because Coates pulls a lot of what this story is from other literary works, and mm-hmm. there are a lot of allusions to that in the book, and you can pick those out and parse those out for yourself if you're aware or if you care enough to dig a little deeper Um, but some of the characters that are introduced are actually very very interesting Uh, and I want to start with the sort of villainous quote unquote pair and I say quote because there's definitely a gray area in in, in a lot of the characters that are presented here including Black Panther not all of the stuff that he does would every one of us consider unilaterally good? And you might not consider the perspective of the antagonist unilater- unilaterally bad. Uh, yeah. Which makes this book so interesting. Um, but I... What? Feels Phil, all about those antagonists. Big... Yeah. Black Panther's a villain in this book, dude. That's a that's definitely a perspective. So, uh, let's, let's talk about uh, Tetu and Zenzi. So, Tetu is the 
he's a shaman who's kind of the head of the people, which is, you know, the rebellion movement. And Zenzi is the leader of the Nagandan army, uh, which she gains control of by enhancing their emotions and bringing them out, making them sort of act as if, act as if they were only purely emotional beings. Uh, so what did you guys think of them as, you know, the, the sort of antagonist for the book? Morally ambiguous. Mm-hmm. They are the type of revolutionary that it the the perspective is that the ends justify the means. And Zenzi's means are extremely morally questionable. However, she I mean Yeah, I mean I'm putting that yeah. mildly. Not even questionable, like yeah, it's like they're reprehensible. Right. <laughs> um but when you go in the good thing about the book is how much uh flavor like real world politics exists in this. Yeah. And from her mm-hmm. perspective, she is an Ugandan nationalist. She has legitimate claim to the outcome of fields, which has impoverished her country uh, due to uh, economic nationalism from King T'Challa. And she is going about trying to help her people. The best way that she thinks she can, and it makes her character extremely nuanced. What about tattoo for you? I mean, I, I, like, look, he he comes off more like a straight up bad guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say, yeah, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad that's where you clarified because, like, I agree with you about her tattoo is a fucking like warlord yeah. with magic powers. He's, like, he's a straight up monster yeah like he's a fucking terrorist like (laughs) he put bombs in people and like (laughs) allowed his armies to like rape and pillage you know it's like under the guise of like revolution no yeah go ahead phil the real heroes of the story we'll get to later i i think uh and speaking to tattoo uh and and specifically what you just said pete it's interesting because to me a lot of the stuff that he does or agrees to uh, is is almost kind of like uh, it's 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 another element or a different side of what Black Panther is also doing and what's also happening within the nation yeah, because <laughs> because even though Tetu is allowing some really crappy things to happen, especially as it relates to the the women in his villages. Uh, we see that Black Panther is going to allow uh, Aneka to be killed for killing a, a chieftain who was allowing the exact same things to happen. So it really kind of calls into question, and I think that's why one of the reasons why this book is so good and important, it calls into question the laws that allow people who are evil to get away with the things that they do, and whether or not it's justified to take the, the kinds of actions that Aneka did take to get rid of that guy forever. Especially when you're talking about Africa, where a lot of these people are allowed to exist and, and act um, for, for decades and decades. And they get caught, and we all know what they're doing, but they get away with it. And, and it happens here too in America. Um, maybe not as, as openly, but I think if you take these themes and apply them to, uh, you know... Like, you take away some of the more specific things, like he's a chieftain and everything, and you just apply it to America. There are a lot of illusions there. 
Sure, absolutely. Um, anybody else with thoughts on Ted 2 or Zenti? No, I think that pretty much covers it. Cool. Um, so, <laughs> Marco, we're not talking about that witch lady from Power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> they did both have green powers. Though. I can't remember her name. <laughs> Madam... Rita. Rita Repulsa. Rita Repulsa. Right? Yeah. I don't fucking know. I watched that. I didn't even watch Power Rangers. It's been 20 years. So, as I referenced, uh, there is this trial that takes place uh, for Anika, who who did kill this chieftain. Um, now, it's determined by T'Challa's mother, Ramonda, uh, his, her, his adopted mother, uh, that she needs to, you know, be brought to, to trial. Or she needs to, justice needs to take place for her crimes. She needs to be imprisoned, right? And so... Ayo, I believe that's her name, or maybe Ayo. One of those. Two. I'm not sure exactly how you say that one. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go with Ayo. That's what I'm gonna go with. Uh, I think that probably sounds right. She she speaks on behalf of Aneka during her trial, and when she realizes that it's not gonna happen and that she's lost that battle to save her loved one, uh, she actually takes this prototype armor, this Midnight Angel armor, and they take matters into their own hands. They escape the imprisonment and they go on an entire journey um, that really is one of the, the major cruxes of this story. Uh, so what did you guys think about those two in particular? I liked... I, I, I liked... It, it, it was good to break up T'Challa's narrative with that because I thought it fleshed out the setting more. You know what I mean? It fleshed out the mysticism. Because T'Challa's entire motivation as a character is that he is a uh, a spiritually appointed king, right? And having this actual spiritism, or mysticism rather, and spiritualism, it, it provides context, right? Because I think without that, uh, the Wakandan dynasty looks a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I, I think they serve as a contrast to both um, T'Challa and um, Tetu and Zenzi. Like they, they are an alternative. I feel like, uh, like that's what I perceive them as. They're an alternative to either the 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 king and like the the reign and the total anarchy that is being brought. They sort of they they just want someplace to to live they they're, they almost remind me of uh like refugees in that sense like getting caught in in the crossfire and sort of trying to do what's best for their um for their people the people who have also been just displaced disowned hurt uh, they are the they are the voices of the refugees essentially to me Oh, like I wasn't sure if you meant to you. <laughs> well, I, I I think you're I think you're absolutely right in the sense that when you look at the actual actions that they take, what are they doing? They're rescuing women who are being raped and beaten or whatever else by these men who have lived and had been given sort of the freedom to live this way and abuse their power over who knows how long, probably way before. Uh, what we see with Thanos and the Black Order and Namor, these men who have done this historically, and these are two women who are not going to have it anymore. 
and they build an entire community in the Jabari lands around that, you know, around that unwillingness yeah. to allow this to take place anymore. And it's hard to argue against that, you know? Yeah, I, I honestly, um, I, I really enjoyed this arc. I like these characters quite a bit. Uh, I think my biggest issue with the book, though, is, like, I kind of feel like, I, like, <laughs> get ready for this. I, I, I agree with Phil. What the fuck? That, like, yeah, <laughs> that, um, I, I don't feel like this series ends in a place where I, I am, um, like, sympathetic to the monarchy hell yeah you know like oh shit and and i think like that the the kind of like resolution of the narrative is them being like you know we all need to work together is nice but it's like (laughs) you know like it feels a little dissonant from the story that's told (laughs) we're like hell yeah peter like it's great that it's great that T'Challa feels bad and everything. But, like, <laughs> the only thing that makes him a king is divine right, and like I'm an atheist, so it's kind of a tough sell for me. It's like he's a great hero. I don't think he's a bad person necessarily, but like he strayed far from the path of righteousness, and like I I don't know. Like I don't I don't feel like. I don't feel like the resolution is is super satisfying for me. Oh, I'm so excited to talk about BP. I see, I see, I see that as an oversimplification. Uh, Black Panther's story in this book is very complex because he's a character who, you're right, is king by divine right. But think about what that is like for him. He didn't ask for that. That's not what he wants for his life. So That's he shouldn't rule. To be. But he <laughs> what? Think about this though. He wasn't the ruler. Sure he was. He gave up being the king of Wakanda, and she became the queen. Right. He only took it back because she died, and he had no choice. That's what he had to do. And that weight, the weight of the nation, is on his shoulders the entire time. And there are several instances throughout the book where the elder people tell him that fact. That he looks at leadership as this heavy burden, yep. when because of what his his status is... It shouldn't be that necessarily. He should be able to act as a king without worrying about what others have done or what the right thing is to do because he himself is a king. But he doesn't see himself that way. There are, there are things about the his, the history of Wakanda that he's not comfortable with, but he feels unfit to change those things. And they try to tell him, you have all the power to do so. And he uses that power for the better at the end of the book when he changes the yeah. rules. That's what was so beautiful about his story is that he recognizes his own fault, his own faults, and the faults of Wakanda, and changes things to make them better ultimately. And he offers, uh, well, does he? I feel like he he does. Maybe I'm misremembering. Doesn't he offer leadership back to Shuri? And I think she rejects. I, mean, I think him? that I I don't think that's what happens, but I think the implication there is that she's in charge. Like he's ruling as the king, but it's that he's more like. A figurehead. He's mm-hmm. the he's right. the representative of the people, but like that, the people are really going to be governed by this like parliamentary, you know, like group that is basically all of the revolutionary women, and then Shari, right? Or is it Shuri? Shuri. He, Shuri. He, he, Shuri, he gives Shuri. it. He gives it up. He gives up that. One of the the major themes of the book is no one man 
should have all that power, which is basically the Kanye West lyric. Uh, <laughs> no one man should have all that power. Oh, so geez. yeah, I, I feel like I feel like there are lots of shades of gray with Black Panther's character, and he's on a real journey here, and he goes through so much in this book, and that's why I love what they did with him here. So to me, the real world comparisons here is he's a combination of Peter the Great and Nicholas the Second, and that. He is like Peter the Great in that he is too busy going into far distant lands to concern himself with his own people. He's busy fighting Thanos and Namor. And to him, he's like, is me providing national security not enough for my people? Bullshit, it's not enough. Fucking tend to your fucking population. And then, like Nicholas II, he comes off like an absentee ruler in that he's just like, he, he doesn't get it. He's not connected as like a ruler, which is to your point that it comes off nuanced as a character, but as a leader, he's terrible. My overall impression is that this is someone who needs to be uh, the monarchy needs to be abolished. He he actually he actually takes advice from like warmongers and like people who profit like war profiteers on how to quell rebellions, and that becomes a major source of conflict afterwards, obviously, but. He still was listening to this. Go ahead, Gary. Well, so for me, uh, Black Panther's journey here for the public is supposed to be a private one, right? Like, we don't see... Oh, he's really stressed out. We don't see (laughs) President Trump... Oh, I feel I feel like I feel like Kale like ate way too much. Like he had like way too much food, and he's just like getting the meat sweats. You know, <laughs> well, he's about to talk about President oh. Trump, so it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So we don't <laughs> we don't. This is addressed by his number. We don't 45. see President Trump go through, for example. Ideally, we don't see President Trump struggle with the daily decisions that he has to make as a leader. We kind of do, though. Uh, Hold on. It's not (laughs) – this is a bad bad example because of where we're at. Lay it out. But you understand what I'm saying. Like, you know, there's a reason Obama went from young – youngish – black man to gray haired and you know <laughs> stressed 20 years older later <clears throat> like, Dude, he was he was hot when he was campaigning in in 2008 and then it's like the 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 weight of the world definitely grayed him up quite a bit and and so like while while i agree with you that going to these despots and tyrants was certainly a bad move the point that T'Challa makes is that he 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 was advised to go to people who are in a position like his. Unfortunately, that led him to the shitty ones because the rest of civilized shitty. society isn't like that. Um, it's also it's also worth pointing out that he didn't call for these people specifically. Like, it was one of his advisors who made this decision, and and he trusted him, and he was like, okay, I'm going to meet with these people. And then when he did, he 
said that they were all disgusting people yeah. and didn't make a deal with them. So. And yeah, and he uh, like they were called there specifically for him to listen to, not for him to interact with their ideas. And that information got out against his will. He didn't right. put that out. But yeah, and it was also misrepresented. But, like it wasn't the entire story. But he literally was listening to like a genocidal maniac who was like, "Oh, this is how you have to squ- squash rebellion." And he literally says, "Tell me more." Again, I, mean, I, I have to read my, that, my though, president's Twitter. The problem with that, like, though, is that even bad ideas are ideas. Like, you have to put those on the table so that you can push them away later. Yeah, <laughs> being in the room with them is pushing those ideas. Like, that's pushing those ideas to the side. Like. Just being, like, you don't say tell me more. That's not pushing those ideas to the side. That's I like, don't think. Let me entertain this. I, I don't think that him listening to the ideas of these individuals, as horrible as they are, is necessarily the like the worst thing in the world. There, there is value in listening to people who you fundamentally disagree with who have horrible ways of solving problems, just because it may spark a positive idea in your mind. And I think that. That's probably what he thought in that moment of let me salvage this by trying to get something, if there's anything I can get out of this, especially because he was probably at his most desperate moment since the incursions prior to Secret Wars. Well, so this is a horrible moment for him. He's doing whatever he can. Shit. I didn't re- and I also, I also think it's... I didn't realize Sean was on the Wakandan PR council. <laughs> I mean... Gotta get his vibranium somewhere, man. <laughs> Uh, I also think it's worth pointing out that, like, you know, in that moment, right, like, he says, tell me more, but it's like, his resolve isn't ever tested. You know, it's like, that that interaction only reaffirms his path towards nonviolence. Or <laughs> as nonviolent as you can be as someone who dresses up as a fucking panther and beats the shit out of people. <laughs> so, But superhero comics deal in that, <laughs> There, there is one character who we still haven't talked about yet that I think is actually maybe the linchpin character of this whole story. Changemeyer? That, yeah, Changemeyer the Philosopher. That was one of the most interesting parts yeah. about this whole thing. Phil, why don't you talk to that a little? Well, Changemeyer is like this this like professor at one of the universities there who basically has been like teaching for decades. He, 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 he had the ear of T'Challa's father. Who believed in like uh, civil discourse and this this uh, French style uh, enlightenment movement of like of discourse, which makes sense because he's like an absolute monarch. But in, in the same breath, he has the ear of people who are unhappy and filled with unrest throughout Wakanda, and he becomes a polarizing character throughout the entire story. Is he this radical inciter of, of radical ideas, or is he just a wise leader? Is he a Baba? Right. Uh, so first of all, I thought, I looked at this guy as like old Phil. Like, this, like this, is, this is Phil in like 40 years after he's already taught in college, trying to bring the system down from within, you know. Um, I I I had a love hate quote unquote relationship with this character. Is that uh, your relationship with me? Yes. Uh, yeah. just, today, percent. To, literally today alone. Yes. Uh, and and I, I say that just because I love 
I love his ideas, right? But this is one of those... This is why this book is so interesting, is that, like, in the space of ideas, right, everything is on the table. But when it comes to leadership, right, when it comes to governance, there's there, it's, it's so much more nuanced than that. And it's easy to say a lot of the things that he says... But it's a lot harder to apply them. And we know that because we're seeing Black Panther struggle and trying. And we're seeing what he's incited by saying what he's said. And there's nothing wrong with what he said. It's the people who are taking it the way they are and applying it in a negative fashion. But this is the power of of, of, of ideas. And when not sort of uh, presented in a way that's like palatable for the masses and not, not going to incite this kind of violence, this is what can occur. So it's so fascinating uh, what this character represents for this story and the wider implications of him in, in society. Yeah, I feel like the the theme of the book is that action, that, like, ideas are the driving force behind the majority of, um, or, or, or getting into people's heads a certain idea is more dangerous than, like, anything else. Um, for, like, it... it it brought up something that's happening in, in Ecuador right now where the current president is um, a like extremely corrupt individual and the former president has returned um, from like Sweden or something to to come back and to sort of rectify everything. There's this huge revolution and movement that's going on right now. Um, there's a, there was a vote today actually um, on like a certain piece of legislation and it boils down to whose ideology sort of trumps the other and then when once there is like a quote-unquote winner how does the execution then affect that the, the rollout of the idea trump's marco um, trump's <sighs> that cough says it all oh my goodness <laughs> I don't... you said whose idea ideology Rickets. trumps the other and oh did yes. i yeah oh low hanging fruit uh-huh. um, <laughs> yep I got. I don't know what I, was, I don't remember what my point was now. <laughs> Great, good job, um, Phil. Uh, I wanted to speak to something that you said before, though, where I think um, that <clears throat> that idea of the projected image of something is more important than the reality of it is uh, like a major theme throughout the story, mm-hmm. right? Like in the opening moments of like us kind of catching up with uh with T'Challa that's like what he says right like a king has to like be mysterious like his his what he withholds is his power i tell information to my allies enemies and people when i think they need to hear it right like that's a major part of that theme at the end of the the narrative when they are defending their crown city his sister says that the image of the strength of the city will be what ultimately saves them if it comes to that right if it comes to fighting to to defend the golden city it's the projected image of the power of the government that Mm -hmm. really matters you know the the power of the monarchy more so than what it can actually do to to speak and yeah that's that's revisited throughout the entire story speak to that i i was looking for a specific page that uh both spoke uh to changemeyer and to what we're talking about the quote is Seen clearly, Shangmire is no apostle. Indeed, he is the bearer of a tradition as old and as Wakandan as our own. Uh, and then what is said is... Uh, his question is fair. The, the answer is simple. 
It is the gospel of Shagamaya that I hear cited on the street. It is the teachings which my people now hail as prophecy. He is not the hand of rebellion, but he is its heart. I propose to cut out the heart. I think one of my favorite things about the character, too, is, and I think what made him ultimately work for me as a device in the story is um, that, like, there's a, another line, I think, even in that same issue, around that same point, where they're basically making the point of, like, you know, he's an old man who realizes that, like, his idealism and that, like, the philosophies that he crafted, you know, in his youth, right, were, like, not foolproof, right, that he believed his own his own fairy tales and that, like... His is own the, myth. Yeah, right, he believed in his own myth and that the idea of, like, yeah, like, ideas are great in the classroom or in the court or in the, um, you know, whatever, in the salon, I think is what they say, but when it comes to be applied to real people, like, there are costs to your philosophy. This will not be hard, Shankermeyer is now being forced to acknowledge that which always follows revolution. He, too, believed his own myths. And now all his philosophy is cracking under the weight of reality. Shankermeyer is not rebelling. He is mourning. Yeah. And I, I, I appreciated that because I think, um, I think to the point that Sean made earlier, and it's a point that I think comes up often uh, when, when people argue about politics, is it's really easy to be an armchair quarterback, you know, and, and say that it all comes down to, you know, quote-unquote moral decisions. Right, because there's another line in that where it says that he preaches an unrealistic morality, where the king, um, you know, is 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 required to, like, you know, the inverse of that. I can't remember the exact line, um, but I, I think like that that is kind of the main point of his arc. Right, is like when does your philosophy, like, how does your philosophy stand up to practice? Like, what happens when people's lives are on the line? And then, and then also the sorts of people who can adopt your philosophy and the application of said philosophy can have hugely negative ripple effects. Tetu is actively using the philosophy of Changamar and, and applying it, but obviously he's doing so in a way that is not ultimately beneficial for the people, but they think it is. Well, we see it all the time in history. Right. We see people take the Bible or the Quran and try to apply sure. it in a way that is uh, skewing the words. We see people take we – we saw Stalin take Marx or Lenin's words and use it to slaughter a hundred million people or whatever. This is the kind of shit that happens through our history. You just skew the narrative to fit a, 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 a despot. Yep. You weaponize an ideology. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so then I think the only other – sort of main character that we haven't yet spoken to is Shuri. And again, her sort of uh, arc prior to this story is is what informs so much of it in that her death <clears throat> uh, is the is, is what kicks all of this off really because she was the queen and she brought a lot of stability to Wakanda that was lost when she died alongside all the other terrible things that had occurred. But let's think about what she represented. She was a woman. Right, she was a queen. She was a Black Panther. She was a woman. Those are all huge. The the uh, Dora Milaje really rallied around her, and you can see that when she comes back in the story and she confronts Ao and Aneka, how impactful it is for them to see her again. Those are the um, other two main characters that we didn't address, but I feel like they're encompassed here. 
Oh, we, t- we no, talked we about last time. Oh, my bad. There's, I'm sure there's more to say, but yeah. but but they but they're they're so impacted by her return, right? And so if you just think about just those two having that reaction, what it would what it would be like for the masses to see her again, that's who she was for this world. That's who she was for these people, and she died. And Black Panther had to take over in a situation where people wanted her and not him, most likely. And he had to repair the world. So that's a huge, huge burden. And then her journey to coming back to the world and how she does that and where where she ends up, I thought was interesting. But I will admit, it was probably my least favorite part of the book. Just her actual her actual sort of journey uh, in the spirit world and yeah. coming back. Yeah. It was. Ve- it felt very info dumpy. Like it was always just like, and and a lot of times it was. It felt very like um, Matrix, you know. Of like, let's kind of like wax philosophic about nothing really. It, re- like, it reminded me of the the parts in the Immortal Iron Fist where they they talk about the the Iron Fists that have come before Danny. and they talk about the history of all the people they fought and all the cool things they've done. But in this, like, it didn't, it, it felt more, uh, for a lack of a better word, uh, tribal. And it felt like, it felt like it was just stories and myths more than actual, you know, stuff that really felt relevant to what was going on. Yeah, it felt kind of disconnected. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't meaty. Uh, and so one of the things, though, that, that I don't know if you guys, um... I don't know how you read it, but uh, in the back of each issue, uh, in the physical version, uh, there is the letters page. And frequently, Mm -hmm. people would write in talking about certain pieces of Shuri's journey and certain things that they saw that were related to something in literature or something historical that they found meaning in. But which made, I'm sure, enhance their their reading of the of those portions of the book. But the problem is that if you didn't grasp those things, then it just kind of falls flat. And then beyond that, since we're talking comics, I just don't think that that was great comic material. Um, in the sense that it wasn't super engaging, at least for me. Uh, did anyone feel differently than that? Yeah, I, um, it was, I don't know. It was interesting for you guys to say that because I felt that the like the stories in the of themselves like the purpose of stories is to sort of strike up an idea in conversation like that's why you know like you have old wives tales like all this stuff so i sort of saw it as a natural way to bring up an idea by alluding to you know like the the boy and the jaguar or the the cheetah rather like it was it was a way to to sort of ground mysticism and ground an idea that was reflected in the actual action parts of the of the story. I, I, I viewed it as like a, uh, almost like a counterpoint to what was going on in, in the story where they would talk about something, they'd bring up some kind of piece of Wakandan history that might s- affect something later on. Like there was a moment when they were in like these ruins and um, I think a couple, like a, a couple issues later, um, was it? it was one of the midnight angels they they brought up something about a like a similar a similar area it was like the beery people but then like before that they were the buri who like had gotten taken over by something else i don't know t- to me i felt that i had the opposite reaction where to me it was meaty but it was presented in a way that might not have been necessarily 
um, it wasn't executed too well, but for me, I think it had its relevance and its strong impact. What connection then, like specifically for like, you know, you, you gave the example of the boy and the jaguar. What did you see come out of that? Because I looked for that too, because I thought that would be, that message was something that I could grasp, but mm-hmm. I didn't really see it very well in, in, in the story. Did you make a connection there that I would have missed or? For me, I made the connection like directly to T'Challa. Like he is being, he is uh, having an internal, he was having an internal conflict at that point where he didn't necessarily believe in what he was doing. Um, he was he was confused about what it is that he needed to do. And um, that's something that plays out throughout the, the, throughout the book. He doesn't have that confidence and he doesn't have that um, security in himself to be like this is what needs to be done and so it was reflective of T'Challa as the little as the boy who himself didn't know it that he could beat the 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 cheater that he did have it in him to do what was necessary and, and uh, for T'Challa to save Wakanda that, that that's how I saw it well and and to your point that's absolutely reflected in certain conversations so if you adopt your theory a little bit and just make it more to be that uh, T'Challa doesn't believe that he is a good king, uh, that he is a an effective king. Then he's definitely the boy, and the, and the accepting himself as a king, as a good king, as a king who can act uh, and who can lead his people would be him beating the cheetah, uh, and that's absolutely reflected in the dialogue between him and his mother, where she tells him, you know, straight up, listen, you can do what you need to do. You're the king. You know, you're mm-hmm. you're 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 still looking at being the king as this massive burden, and that's you're you're always gonna feel this way if you keep viewing it that way. Well, yeah, and she also says like you're looking at being a king as being like the other kings, right? Like you are you are a king because or like whatever you do is king, like because you're the fucking king. Right. So like decide what kind of king you want to be and go be that king. You know, don't try to chase legacy or you know. Um, bow to, to tradition sure. you know like if you want to change the rules you know you're the only one stopping you from doing that you're in charge that's right so abolish the monarchy <laughs> but but so then Shuri does eventually come out of that They uh, uh, Black Panther and Eden do rescue him um, what did you guys think about where she was at when she came back would you think about her character now that she was an active participant in the story itself you know, like I said, her her parts of the the story didn't connect for me. They didn't feel meaty. They didn't feel um, uh, ne- necessarily necessary. So uh, her journey through that and the way she comes out on the other side didn't completely make sense to me. Like it didn't. Uh, it didn't necessarily feel earned, I guess. I mean, so you know, in in terms of like, I'm sure, in terms of the story and in terms of like what she went through in, uh, you know, were I looking at it as a citizen of Wakanda, it would have been fine. But yeah, in terms like of in the narrative, sense. it didn't like it didn't make you. sense to me. You know, right, right. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. Um, and it wasn't even that, like, I didn't understand her journey. It was more just, like, it didn't resonate with yeah. me. 
Yeah. You know, like every other one of these characters, you know, we talked about how they had a meaningful arc and I think none of them are really painted in any kind of like good or bad way. Like it's it's all kind of shades of gray is that the worst of them have redeeming qualities and the best of them have sinister qualities. And I think she's the only character who feels like she exists kind of outside of that. Like she spends her whole time like attaining enlightenment and then she comes back just to be this, like, otherworldly, inhuman, like, you know, wisdom machine. And it just, like, didn't, it didn't resonate with me. Like, I understood what she meant to the people as a symbol. So, like, what she achieved for the plot worked for me in terms of, like, what, like the point you made, right, of, like, what it means to see her return, right? What That she was this queen that was beloved and strong and... Um, was the last leader that they had during a time before all this bad. So, like, I got that, but as a character, her arc didn't really speak to it, me. It, it felt do ex machina in a way. It simplified real-world yes. problems Yeah, in that she... There's there's a clear gender inequality problem with in Wakanda at this time. And she comes back and wisdom onto the midnight angels and all of a sudden <laughs> this this wave of rebellion is marginalized by and it it under it undercut something that was really meaty about the first seven issues of the book and i think especially when you then have the later context of when they're all meeting at um what oh my god what is it we literally said it like 30 times already chunk uh, the, the philosopher, Changemeyer. Thank you. Um, I, I kept I kept wanting to say like Charlemagne, which is like so not the same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, uh, when they're like at the the meeting there, right to like talk about the new government, and you know like the um, the grandmother who I don't even know if we ever got her name, but um, the grandmother who's like working with the two iron, oh, um, sure, you know, yeah. the midnight revolutionary yeah. women. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you, the angels. Yeah. Um, she's like, what were they? What were they supposed to do? Just like let them keep raping and killing us? And she's like, yes. Like, cause we all swore a duty, and no, you know, no one man, no one woman. And I'm just like, no, like that's kind of bullshit. Like, she didn't do any. Like, I'm sorry, like that she broke the law, but like, what she did was morally just, and arguing against that is like, is um really problematic in my mind. That they're, that they're going to put this, like, I get it. Oh, you're supposed to represent the best of us, so we can't allow you to break the rules and change around what that means. And it's like, yeah, but what she was doing was literally stopping a rapist. Like, I I I have a really hard time swallowing that, like, greater good kind of philosophy when you're talking about what is not gray. Like, there are shades of gray in this whole story. This is not a gray area. This is a, a, a bad person doing bad things, and this person who can stop them well, stopping them. Yes, outside of the law, it, but, like, come it's, on. It's, it's not even that. It's a misnomer. It's not a greater good. The, great, the, the reality is that there is an extreme gender issue in Wakanda, and her being this figurehead uh, of morality isn't preventing people from getting raped at that time. But that's but but that but again, there is a gray area because of their position. They're they're not supposed to act unilaterally. That's the whole point. That's what that's what 
makes the philosophy of Tetu and the Midnight Angels so murky and questionable just as much and that's why it was so cool to see these these two pillars of idea sort of presented against each other because they're both they're both they're both not answering their own questions if you're not if it's not if it's if it's no one man then how are you allowed to act unilaterally and just kill somebody because you disagree with what they do um that's that's a question that has to be answered and the answer isn't as simple as oh well it's a wrong behavior so we can kill him for free because at some point you have to ask who determines what's a wrong behavior and that's when you get back to no one man and that's why the questions of the book are so meaty and so interesting uh, that's that's a legitimate point yeah like I, I i can definitely see that line of thinking um i guess it's just like Maybe it's that line coming from that character, but like it just that I remember really sat with me the wrong way. As well, a I mean, if, if you're not going to act unilaterally against someone who's acting unilaterally against you, like, what's the point? You know what that's I mean? A big, that's a big, heavy question. I feel like the book, I feel like the book deals with that in a in a very very interesting way, especially when you look at how it ends, where they sort of expand uh, to have a, a parliament and have a, a, a group that's going to talk about these things and not just leave it up to the decision of Black Panther or Ramonda or Shuri, you know, that it's going to be more open. And I think that that was, that was such a great way to come to closure about these issues to have a new way of dealing with things. Yeah, we'll see. That, just like Zara Nicholas and his fucking Duma, it's gonna be a toothless fucking organization. T'Challa still got this ability to raise the military, <laughs> and uh, his sister uh, uh, Shuri, Shuri, she's gonna have tremendous sway over this parliament. Kale, you were about to speak. I don't. This, I don't know. This, it doesn't feel relevant uh, anymore. Um, just, and it, I don't know how to answer this this question or address even this this statement. I didn't see a problem with um, with what Shuri told Ao and um, Aneka and and their grandmother. Um, you know, she says yes. That's exactly what you were supposed to do. This was your position, and you broke it. So. You have to be punished. Okay, your girlfriend broke it by breaking you out of jail. Well, now both of you have to be punished. Uh, those are the rules. Who gives a fuck about the rules? And I'm not. And that's and that's sort of what I'm saying. Like I, I don't, I don't think they were wrong. Uh, you know, Ao and Aneka. I don't think they were wrong, but I do think, given their position. If they're gonna do something wrong, abolish then, the monarchy. Well, I mean that's not their job. That's T'Challa's job. See, this is the problem of trying to talk with you about anything, Phil. <laughs> I, and exactly I'm not disagreeing. Way. Like, you know, your your example of 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 Nicholas the 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 czar or whatever, um, and Black Panther still being able to amass the troops and Shuri still having sway over the parliament. The Queen of England can still do that stuff. Not like really. She's, she's, she's larger no, than she, figurehead. She can still 
do all that stuff. Like, she's largely a figurehead, yes, but she's still a queen. Like, if she wants that power, she can still swing in and take it. I think, I think again, like, the the problem, despite, like, you know, lining, lining more with your sympathies on this one, Phil, I think the problem with where you're coming from at it, though, is that, like, you don't see the problem with the side that you agree with. You know, which is that, like, and that's the thing that Shuri says to them and the grandmother says to them during their meeting, too, of, like, okay, great, like, you're killing the bad people, but what else are you going to do? Yeah. Like, are you just destroyers? Because, like, if all you're doing is playing judge, jury, and executioner, how long is it until you kill the wrong person? Yeah, T'Challa, you know, and T'Challa like, even says, um, 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 you know, if I, if I pardon you, what else have I pardoned in a future unseen? If I let you go now, who knows what you're going to do next? The problem with that mentality is this, this, that's like a very American, like, slippery slope policy. How far do we go till we go too far is that it, it, it halts any actual notion of progress. Why does it have to be a slippery slope? Why can't there be actual resolution that comes from revolution? That kind of thing has happened before. It's just this mentality of, of conservatism of being like, whoa, 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 let's pump the brakes because otherwise – what will happen? Well, what happens if you don't do anything? It's the same shit that's been happening. But at the same time, when you're going down a slippery slope, you don't dive head first. You lean back and you take slow and careful steps. But that's my entire point, is that who's saying this is a slippery slope? Who's saying that's the ground that is being stood upon? The people who can see the slope. The people who are threatened by quote-unquote slope. Okay, but like Phil, look at it through the lens of the of the work, right? Of this text, yeah. It, that we're you're still uh, that you're we're still discussing armchair philosophizing, like yeah, right. And like that's the whole point of like the the narrative is that like it's it's harder than that because like it's easy to say that, but like in the context of the narrative, like they are willing, they are there on the verge at least of being willing to side with a fucking a warmonger. For the quote-unquote greater good. So how are they any better than the people that they were revolutioning against? Well, that's definitely what the book waxes poetically, and I think that's what makes it so interesting. Right. That's, but, that's, yeah. that, but that's what we're arguing with you about. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> so so let, me, let me just ask you guys this question uh, so that we can move on. Do you guys think that at least the book handles these sort of heavy political social issues in a nuanced fashion that presents the sides equally and and sort of uh, justly? Um, yeah, for the most part, I I think we expressed how the quote unquote true villains. I don't know if they come out as um you know, equally represented, but, you know, you gotta have a bad guy, right? So I think it's more about their ideology. Like, if anything, if anything, from an ideological, philosophical perspe- perspective, Chengamire would, would be the villain. He would, he represents the direct counterpoint in terms of philosophy to the monarchy. And so, in that regard, what I'm asking you is, do you think that, they're, that the perspectives of those two uh, like, so Changemire and the monarchy, do you think that those two perspectives are brought to fruition properly and given their proper time? Yes and no. 
you know, like I, I think we've talked about it a lot here, and and I think I've expressed my concerns with some of the positions that are taken by the narrative because I think it kind of it asks these questions and then almost tries to answer them, and I think the answer is not. It's not super satisfying to me because I don't necessarily agree with all of its conclusions. But that's a that's a personal issue for me, right? Like, I think in terms of the overall narrative, I would say for the most part, yes. I think I think that I think that the sides are um, painted f- pretty fairly, and that it, it it is meant to show that like not any one side is totally right or wrong, and that like the realities of rule are a lot more complex than um, than we armchair quarterbacks would like to think. Yeah, and um, to what Pete said about it, like, not, um, like, it didn't necessarily jive with your, your personal opinions. Uh, I think that, like, to me, certain things also didn't necessarily align with my, my sort of sensibilities and thinking, but I feel like in the setting that were presented it makes sense that a lot that some things i wouldn't agree with necessarily you know there are compromises there are things that make it into uh that make it into law that i won't agree with but in general might something else might be included there that i do that someone else might not i I just feel like it was dealt with in a very realistic way that i appreciated uh like the story itself um and i feel that for his first time to sort of tackle this kind of large scheme, large idea and sort of present it the way he does and laid out. I think it was a really, a really solid um, storyline for, for him, for his first comic. Like this was executed very well. Um, in, in like in a couple years, I hope to see him do tackle something like this or something similar to this um, with just that much more, refined finesse yeah i hope he leaves wakanda (laughs) we can all agree fuck namor though right um i mean yeah namor's kind of an asshole yeah that's that's general you know life yeah i love the namor character but he is yeah no like namor is a dope character but but it's but it's because he's such a dick (laughs) you love to hate him like me no, I don't. I don't love to hate you, and I don't. You hate, just hate uh, to hate me. No. <laughs> it's it's more that I hate that I love you. <laughs> I just hate you. Jeez. Okay, so so let's can we can we talk about the art here? Oh, it's phenomenal. The 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 inking is phenomenal. Yeah, inking is really solid. Um, my my favorite touch of it was its use of silhouettes. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I loved when they would have those moments of like certain characters kind of cast in the shadow and you would only have like little tiny signifiers of like their overall look, you know? Um I thought that was just a really really cool like stylistic choice and it kind of reminded me of um you know, of some like traditional African art that I've seen and like that more like kind of um uh like silhouette's not the right word for it, but but you know what I mean. It's like that kind of like um, like stripped down look at like presenting the human form, you know. And like I just I really appreciated, I appreciated that because it's different for one thing, but also just because I think it spoke to you know um, 
one of the themes of the book, right? Which is like the roots and the connection of like um, of like the people to the country, and like in a more naturalistic kind of sense. So I think like having something that was representative of like traditional African art like seemed really appropriate for the narrative, you know. And any little touch like that is just like, you know, it, it's a fun kind of like visual palette cleanser. You know. So real quick, I do want to shout out the inkers just because I didn't do it uh, earlier. Uh, so Carl Story uh, was an inker on this on this uh, series, and then so was Joe Sinat. So both of those guys, um, you know, they did a great job. And when you're talking about the art and you're talking about some of the uh, African tribal influences in the art, you have to look to Brian Stelfreeze because he did a ton of work in researching uh, sort of African... Uh, tribal costumes and different things like that to apply to this book and it really really resonates and it and it's so cool to see uh the the clothing style and the headdress and everything else in what is a super at least in the golden city like a super modern high-tech environment it's it's really cool very interesting dynamic and I think that this book would have been underserved had they just been wearing suits and, you know, you know, regular dresses and everything else. Because, first of all, they yeah. wouldn't have fit. And then, second of all, it's like, why do that when you can do something way cooler than that, you know? Well, it's also not realistic, right? Like, there, I, I like the idea that there's, like, a, a route to, like, the style and culture of, like, the real world Africa. You know, but, like, in a way that's, like, futurist. You know, like, that's cool. Well, you know, there's something I want to mention. I won't dwell on it, but to what you're saying, Pete, there's a real undercurrent subtext of the story about Wakandan nationalism. Even Aurora Storm makes the point that Wakandans think they're better than other Africans, which is a really interesting subtext throughout the story. Um, Yeah. Which plays on, like, the ethno-nationalism. Yep. Yeah, I think that that... Un, is definitely an undercurrent throughout the whole series, and uh, it really, it, it really becomes apparent when the crew uh, comes in and and helps uh, Black Panther deal with Zeke Stain and, and his little party. Uh, just that number one, Black Panther deliberately brought brought black heroes because if he didn't, that they wouldn't have been necessarily accepted. And number two, that they should probably get out because they don't look like everybody else, even though they are black, and that they might not have been uh, well, well, well received had they stayed. Too yeah, long. I, I love, I love that he was like, he was like, yeah, there were like certain aesthetic concerns. Yeah, like <laughs> I was just like, bring, oh man, they didn't bring in Sam. Right, because he was yeah. Captain America. Captain exactly. America, right. Yeah. That made yeah. sense. I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, totally. And then, you, wouldn't um, bring, you wouldn't bring that anywhere else. Jesus <laughs> 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 Christ. What, what was the name of the, the guy who was helping him out throughout the whole story? Eden. Who has, like, the, Eden, yeah. the warp powers? Manifold. Eden. Manifold. Yeah, like, I thought it was interesting that, like... It was okay that he, he like he's like well you've been here the whole time you can stick around. Is he yeah? Me. Is he Wakandan? No, or is he just not to he's my African. I think he's just African. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I feel like I feel like that like I remember he was like all right you're bad enough like okay. <laughs> anyone else is too much like. <laughs> but but to to take it back to the art uh, so one of the one of the problems that I had with the series, despite how excellently I thought 
Brian Stelfreeze did with the first uh, arc. He only really worked on those first four issues. He did uh, consulting as far as like the look of the book thereafter and covers, but the rest of it was was handled by uh, Chris Sprouse, um, and then like you had some other artists who don't really get credited uh, who helped with finishes. Uh, so it, it like it, in in the last book, it really feels like sort of almost a hodgepodge, just because there's so many people who worked on it, and that definitely affected my reading of it, just because you could see from page to page yes. when it, things were changing, and I hate that. Yeah, I think also just like the the last two issues, I thought were the weakest. Yep, visually of speaking, the whole narrative, yeah. like not only just visually speaking, but I I feel like. I feel like in story as well, like they're like that's where all the action starts, you know, and like when a big part of the issues where the visual the visuals get sloppy is like big fight scenes and stuff. It was not. It didn't work for if, me. If you, you know, if you want to talk about the worst parts of the book, I actually thought the worst issue was the, the worst issue was the first issue. I I, I it felt like a new writer. Like the dialogue was stunted. Uh, oh, uh, writing wise. Well, yeah, yeah, because because he was talking about the narrative as well. Uh, sure. Like that felt like a new writer writing in comic book, and I was like, oh boy, strap in. But it got much better. Uh, yeah, Sean, to to what you were saying, I, I it, it disrupted my my reading of it because there was a moment where I was I I, I flipped I, I just went to the next page and then Changamai was like at a really awkward angle and i was like huh his beard looks different from like the page before and i was like it it threw me out there were moments where it it threw me out of the story um so that was yeah that wasn't a a criticism i had you know as uh if like while we're on the subject of nitpicking you know was the thing that really bugged me especially in the early issues was um how they were interchangeably referring to t'challa by like two different like names that both meant king (laughs) You know, like, they had the one that was, like, oh, he's the orphan king. But then there was, like, the term that, like, the people who respected him were using that meant, like, you know, the Panther King or whatever, like, the real name. And, like, I was just, like, there were so many times where I I kept flipping back to the first issue to be, like, which one's which? And, like, who's saying what right now? Because, like, it just got away from me. Especially in a book where there were so many new characters. You know, where, like, I don't know 90% of the people in this book. Like T'Challa is the only person I really know, and you're not calling and him by them his name. Be... And they're calling him by like four names. Yeah. And it's like I can't. Like <laughs> that was like very. That took some getting used to. For I sure. actually really appreciated that because it felt it felt mm-hmm. very um, regal, regal, but also like just fitting. Yeah, like I believe that, especially coming from a, a like. The Spanish household, but then also yeah, yeah, having yeah. exactly Marco like that's that's pretty you. common. <laughs> I was literally gonna respond by going white people. Well, I mean, that, no, <laughs> that's like, not I, fair. I you know I call my parents you know mom and then you know shitty mom and then dad and then best dad <laughs> shitty dad. I mean you know it's <laughs> orphan dad. Um, but I also thought that them calling him, I believe it was Harum Harum Fall, was super appropriate because. That and the orphan king, that moniker, that that really nasty for in their world, a nasty term, ended up sort of really playing into 
the last couple of issues when they break yeah. down what that really how that applies to Wakanda. I thought that was that was brilliant. That was amazing. Yeah, th- I'm not criticizing the usage of it in the script. Just I, that was definitely a pain point for me as a reader. As, like, and I, you know, I think like the fact that I read it all in one sitting and I felt that way. I can only imagine how I would have felt if I was reading it month to month. And I'm just like, who are they talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, any other uh, comments on the art? I thought that the, the um, way they uh, did. Panther's mask was really cool. I've yep. always, I've always really uh, thought that man, it's, it's so cool. Yeah, they're like kind of like d- digital looking, yeah. transitory, like yeah, the weird, the weirdly neat. Kirby shapes around his head and yeah, uh-huh. and the way the lenses fold over too is probably my favorite part. I think that's just yeah, that was super cool. The only and like I liked, I liked how in the fights, whenever you would get hit, you would see it like kind of splinter yeah. and everything. I was like, that was really neat. The only other uh, criticisms that I had regarding the art were two. One was that I didn't love the way that the scenes with Shuri looked when she was still in that sort of spirit world. Um, though, for for whatever reason, that just kind of like I don't know threw me off a little bit. Um, there was a lot of like color going on and different things. I, I don't know. Um, that just threw me off. And then uh, towards the end of the like book, thematically, not thematically, just visually, just in the sense that it was just it just was a lot. Um, mm. The the one thing I liked a lot at those parts where I thought the lettering was really cool, like I liked that the um, what was her name uh, the the spirit like, like the, it wasn't it wasn't yeah it was mother, like the goit or was, whatever yeah yeah but the the visage of her mother but like you know this this wisdom keeper. Uh, I liked that the color of her text was the same as that aura that she had and that it Uh, kind of had this, that, like, it had, like, a neon, like, glow to it almost. Like, there's something about it that I just, like, I was like, this is a cool, like, um, cohesion. You know, I thought that was a cool choice. Right, and that's that that had the exact opposite effect on me. Um, Okay. but, But that's fine. And then, but the only other thing, this one really stuck out to me as a problem. Uh, and this is probably also a writing criticism, but definitely artistically. I thought that the final sort of battle when the uh, the people were breaking into the Golden City was laid out really bad. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh my god! Yeah. You can't you can't tell me that that was a that that was a national a nationwide war. It looked it, there were like they showed like four four seven people. yeah like nice. seven people, and that that really was weird to me. Um, yeah, they're like the city fell, and I'm like, it looks like they took over like a block. Yeah, what happened? <laughs> like nothing, ha- nothing visually happened. And then I thought this looks like the Eagles got into the Super Bowl. <laughs> it look, I mean, it's worse than that, man. I, I'm, those streets were packed in Philly when you know, like <laughs> these, it looked like a group of friends just kind of hanging out. Like no, nothing, nothing was represented well visually at, at that point, and that really took me out of the story because I was looking forward to an epic battle, and we did not get that at all. Um, so, so again, any other comments on the art before we, okay, so I want to end just by talking about Coates as a writer, uh, so, like, more focusing on the dialogue than the story, because we, I think, feel, feel like we already kind of robustly covered the story. Did you guys think that, in terms of his writing dialogue and stuff like that, that he did well for his first outing? I think in terms of dialogue, I think it 
like and dialogue and theme i kind of feel like this would have come across better in like a an actual like novel or you know like if if they'd taken this story and made it like a a, a novelization i think it would have come across a little oh. better um just because it, like especially in the first the first couple issues you can really tell that he's trying to get his feet um and it like it it sort of felt to me like his his themes were a little bit bigger than what he was able to convey in a comic script you know not that he not that he did it bad necessarily but like he didn't quite know how to put down what he wanted to do does that make sense uh, I mean, it, it makes sense. I just don't know that I agree. I feel like the themes were very well fleshed out um, and and sort of brought to light. Uh, I agree with you on a dialogue front, though, 100%. Because mm-hmm. there were times when... I mean, look, we're, we both write, right? So, like, you know the rules of writing dialogue. And mm-hmm. there were pages that were just, like, filled with big blocks of text yeah no i i was reading fucking bubbles. i was re- so one one um one little uh tidbit that i i've picked up is that you know a, a speech bubble should only have generally 14 or 15 words one <laughs> one of his bubbles had like 23 and then 25 and i sat there and i counted them and i looked at jess and i went what what is he doing well, and it's like many of them yeah. were like that too. It's it's not like a, a sometimes. Yeah, no, like I that's something I noticed too. Like, you know, as like someone who started lettering like last year, mm-hmm. like I there was many times where I was just like keenly aware of like how much text was on the page, how many huge bubbles were like covering an entire you know panel, or like how close the margins were on some of these bubbles, like. Um, yeah, it was a lot of text. And I, I think the bigger issue for me, like, I agree with Sean. I don't think it was an issue of theme. I think the themes in the in the book come across well. Um, I think it was just the dialogue. It was that a lot of the dialogue just didn't sound the way that people talk. You know, like, I, I there were times where they sounded like characters who were, like, delivering soliloquies at each other, not people having a conversation. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I thought, it for me, the, the highlight point of, of when it got good, for me anyway, was actually when they introduced the crew and they were battling with Zeke and his people. Uh, the reason why I feel that way is because the dialogue got a lot looser. Misty Knight had some really great quips and lines and um, Storm and Luke and Zeke got his stuff into that I thought was really fun. Um, and that's where it seemed like Coates sort of let go of feeling like he needed every line to be this epic thing and just was yep. shooting. And that's what you want to see from a writer is when you can get those those um, dialogue bubbles that have, you know, like less than 10 words or whatever, but they're re- they really hit and they're, they have bite. And that's where I felt like that. And then for most of the rest of the book, I didn't feel like that. Not that the dialogue was always bad or that it was even bad at all, but it was a lot. I actually thought that's where it valid. I really didn't like when the crew showed up. I, I thought it was gimmicky. I, I I thought it clashed with everything else. Like he, he, there was a there was a 
decent enough tie-in to explain why these characters are here, but like, I liked it being just a inclusive situation, and uh, I felt like that was all kind of just a distraction. It felt comic booky in a bad way. Uh, as for the dialogue itself, I actually don't really have much of a problem with it. I think I think it tries to approach heady geopolitical situations that are really real, and he comes from it from a real writer's perspective, and a lot of new comic book writers have this problem of, of blocking text. Uh, Scott Snyder had that problem. Kevin Smith, your mileage, obviously can vary with him as a writer, but he had that problem. A lot of writers who don't break into the comic book industry as comic book writers have this problem. And I think it got better as it went on. Bendis made it his brand, so I don't... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I agree, I think, with everything Phil said in that, which is kind of scary. Um, But, yeah, I, I also thought that that was sort of where um, when when the crew came in, it kind of like took a dip uh, for me. I, I think that the the dialogue wasn't an issue. To, to your point, Phil, he is trying to explain a lot of meaty stuff, and I think he he did it he did it well with the even with the text that he was given. Um, and I I just feel like as a as a new writer there were maybe some executional things that, you know, with time you, you get, you get better at, yeah. uh, specifically like providing maybe even some more artistic direction, like making that cohesion a little bit, um, just stronger, um, trying to capture all the, the different themes. I think he did, uh, I mentioned, I said it before, like he did a good job at it, but I feel like there was still something that in the execution, um, when he, when he does something like this next will be that much more just natural. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think especially seeing the way that, that the dialogue evolves over the series, it believe, leads me to believe that he figured it out. Um, so I almost agree with you, Sean. I think it was the dialogue immediately following the issue where the crew shows up, where I think it really picked up. There's that issue that opens with them like leaving um, I felt like after that interaction was kind of done, I think that was where I really felt like the dialogue uh, got cleaner. So, but around the same time in the narrative, for sure. Yeah, I also want to uh, be clear. I wasn't actually saying that. Like, I thought that the crew coming in was like a good thing. I'm, I'm simply saying that I like the way, I like the dialogue from that part. It got a lot punchier, yeah. got a lot more engaging. There were jokes finally, um, so you know <laughs> that, that one uh, that one bit where Misty's like, I uh, <laughs> I take reservation with the term hood and like Luke's because that's because you're hood. That was <laughs> like, perfect. That was, that was amazing. That was such a good. That was a good exchange. Yeah. I like I, that got a laugh out of yeah, me. I was laughing throughout <laughs> that whole time, and so that that's why it really sticks out to me. But um, any any closing thoughts before we uh, cap out this episode of the book club? Black Panther turned out to be a villain. Who would have thought? <laughs> um, unlike Phil, this was not predictable. Oh. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was a good read. Uh, I'd, I'd definitely be interested to see what else Coates can do in this space if he so chooses. Um, I think his next comic will be a lot better than this one, even though I thought this was a really, really good first effort. 
and um, I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. Not that I thought I wouldn't like it, but it, it got its hooks in me. You know, like the first night I picked it up, I planned on reading the first volume and going to bed, and I was like, I stayed up until three in the morning getting through the next one, you know? So, um, yeah, definitely worth it. Did you like it more than Black Panther and the crew? Uh, did you, you know, I don't know, man. That's, that's the comic of our time. So. Did I get the title wrong? No, I was just going to say, did he read Black Panther and the crew? Or... No, I didn't read oh. Black Panther and the oh, crew. Oh, you always criticize it. I thought you read it. <laughs> never... <laughs> <laughs> that turned out to be a better dig than I thought. Uh, I, I want to point out, by the way, that this series is not over. So, right. um, there's, there's a lot more that does come and, this was what in 2015. He considers this to be season one of the story. Season two has already taken place and it's still rolling. So if you guys are interested in seeing how that has turned out, you can keep reading. Or if you want us to keep reading, let us know. Sure, absolutely. Uh, Kale, Marco. Uh, I wasn't. I've never been a huge fan of the Black Panther. Um, so like going into this wasn't. Uh, you know, not that I didn't want to do it or anything, but it wasn't any revelatory experience um the the story was good i you know i enjoyed it for the most part but it wasn't enough that i would keep going i i definitely uh appreciate uh coat's writing and his talent uh and i can definitely see you know i you could definitely see his improvement uh but i think i think i would rather see him a little bit later on on something different that I would be interested in. Yeah, I, I mean, I have no connection to the Black Panther, so for for this to for me to come in to this book, I thought it was a really nice introduction, and I I hope that other books are are like this, like other Black Panther books. So if I do want to explore, I hope they are somewhat grounded in like a similar world. I mean, I I don't know necessarily, but I I hope it in the future because I, I probably will maybe pick up the next book because um, it did interest me enough for that I hope that it doesn't it sort of stays in the kind of realm that it was and I feel like this is where Tennessee Tennessee Coates is comfortable in and I don't want him to be a superhero I want he him to be a, a king Marco. yeah a but if it goes down that route mm, count me out okay. would you would you like him to be a mighty king Yes, cool. Maybe oh, maybe like Christ. no king was before. Yes. Maybe looking up, maybe looking down. Maybe even working on his roar. Yeah. What are we even doing? Yeah. Um I don't know. <laughs> for me, uh I had read I had read half of this prior to us agreeing to do this book club, so revisiting those issues with my eyes now, um I enjoyed it. Probably more than I did the first time around. Um, even though I was further removed from the relevant context. Um, and I I enjoyed the first half maybe more than the second. Um, but I still think it was really strong. And I'm really glad that we did this one. I really... Um, I, I love it when comic books get away from the sort of basic... like superhero stories and are ready to deal with big meaty subjects like this 
And you yeah. really can only do this kind of story with a few characters, and Black Panther is one of them. And I thought that he nailed it. It wasn't perfect by any means, but I really like what he did with it, and I appreciate him having the the uh, the chutzpah to uh, tell this story and to stick to themes that a lot of readers might not be interested in or familiar with, like uh, you know African nationalism and Afri- very deeply ingrained African themes. The the Ayo and Aneka were les- in a lesbian relationship, and sort of some of those themes, which actually a, 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 a reader criticized. Uh, the team for in the letters page, which I thought was really interesting that they even published it. But um, there, you know, I just thought that there was a lot here, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and I can't wait to see how much of this makes it into the film. So, uh, yeah, I'm really, yeah, I'm really excited for that. Uh, Phil, go ahead. Looks like you want to say something. Next time we do the Black Panther podcast, we'll talk about Fred Hampton and Bobby Seale and Bobby Rush. <laughs> uh, so. If you it. guys, it's a wrestling joke. If um, you don't get it, and Sean's laughing, it's a you wrestling guys are joke. It's insane. <laughs> wow, that is not a wrestling joke. Oh no! Wait, it was a history joke. It was a history it's a joke. Black Panther to the Black reference. Panthers. Yeah. Okay. Like the, sorry. Like I the comic. I don't. I don't read. Oh god. <laughs> the fucking Black Panther party. <laughs> Black Panthers. You know American history, Kale. The country that you used to- <laughs> Oh, I forgot all that. I don't live there anymore. You fucking Kiwi. Anyway, uh, definitely let us know what you thought about this series if you had the opportunity to read it. And if you didn't, uh, let us know what you thought about our dialogue regarding the series. Um, how, uh, how did you enjoy having it spoiled for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and then also, what would you like to see us read next? What books would you like to see us tackle we're very open to suggestions as far as that goes we're looking to do this on a much more regular basis and we'll have more to say about that in the future so stay tuned to our regular show the comics pals where we'll update you on what we'll be reading next and what you need to get if you would like to follow along uh of course you can get us on itunes and all other podcast hosting services we are a five-star rated podcast on itunes which i guess has a new name now what's the new name Apple, Apple Podcast. Podcasts. Apple yeah. Podcast. Really fucking podcast. Rolls <laughs> off the tongue. Uh, Got a great ring to it. Yeah. So then, of course, you can also write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. Uh, you can let us know what books you'd like us to read. Let us know your thoughts on this, of course. Um, and then, last but not least, if you're on YouTube, hit that like button before you jump. Hit the share button to share it with your friends. And subscribe because we're going to be doing a lot more stuff like this and other really cool stuff coming real, real soon. So stay tuned to us. Uh, and with that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. All See you next All month. All power to the people.